Well, good morning. Uh, I'm Stephen Weisong, the Director of Student Ministries here, and I am so honored to be with all of you this Memorial Day weekend. And uh, when I when I was a little Steve, I'm a big Steve now, but when I was a little Steve, my family was living in Redwood City, California, and my brother Tyler and I we were playing in our house, and we decided that we wanted to take all of the couch cushions and move them underneath our stairs and have a test of bravery. I thought about bringing some couch cushions here this morning and jumping off. I decided against that. But, but we did that. We took all the couch cushions. We put them underneath the stairs and we tested our bravery. And we started off really simple and easy. We just two stairs and we got to three and four. And then our mom heard the commotion. She hurried out and she found us and she looked at our mess and she's going, boys, what, what are you doing? You've you got to stop doing that right now because you could get hurt. And we're like, okay. And we, we nodded and she turned her back to us and she started to walk towards the kitchen and, and Tyler nudged me and he whispered, watch this. And then with some pretty impressive speed, he turned around, ran up five stairs and jumped onto the cushions. Well, my mom heard in mid stride, she turned back around and gave my brother the mama ain't pleased look. She said, Tyler, what did I just say? And she folded her arms and, you know, tapped her foot. Never a good sign when a mom does that. She said, well, you know, what you've just earned yourself. And then she said the words that still to this day, when I hear them, they cause me to shiver because she said, you know what you just earned yourself? You just earned yourself a spanking. And Tyler grabbed his little behind and he said, no, but it was too late. My mom picked him up and started carrying him up the stairs into her bedroom. And Tyler looked over her shoulder and he looked out at me and he started to reach to me and I could see the tears forming in his eyes. And in that moment, I did one of the most Christ-like things I've ever done in my entire life. I ran up the stairs and I said, wait, I'll take Tyler's spanking. And my mom looked at me and was like, really? And Tyler looked at me like, really? And I was like, really? And so my mom put Tyler down. She led me into the bedroom and I took Tyler's spanking, which come to think about it, I don't actually think my mom really gave me a spanking, but I think as little Steve, my adrenaline was pumping so much that it sure felt like it. But I left the bedroom and when I left the bedroom, I put a little limp in my uh, walk and I added a little sniffles because I could see Tyler leaning up against the wall. His head was down and he looked at me, up at me and his eyes were kind of misted with tears. And, and I walked by him to go to my bedroom and I locked eyes with Tyler. And as I walked by, I pointed at him and I said, you owe me. <laughs> I, I'm going to give us a universal feeling. It's universal. Every single one of us will identify with it. And every single one of us at some point or another will have thought this or said it. Uh, but when it comes to wrongdoings, mishaps or mistakes done against us, somebody's got to pay. It's universal. We, we all know this. We all feel this way when there's something wrong done to us. Let's say that let's say that someone steals your phone. Let's say that someone gets your bank account information, starts draining you of your assets. Let's say that someone breaks into your house and steals your family's TV. Our response in those moments aren't, oh, well, they probably needed the phone more than I did. They, they probably didn't, they didn't have a way to communicate with any of their loved ones, and now they do. Oh, oh, man, they, I don't need my money. They, they probably needed it more than I do, and you know what? God bless them. 
and I hope that my TV sells really well on Craigslist or the black market, wherever they're selling it. But, you know, God, God bless them. No, that is not our response. Someone steals from you. Someone ruins your image. Someone hurts you. Someone dings up your car or your life. We go, somebody's got to pay. Well, that's the hurting side of life. The flip side is when you do something nice for someone else. We view life kind of the way I view taking Tyler's spanking. We think we're owed something. Like life is, a, is based upon a good karma point system. And we look up at God and we'll go, God, did, did you see that? Did you, did you see what I did? And we'll go, you owe me, God. Send me some good stuff my way because I've earned it. So we have this dilemma at war inside all of us because we have this universal feeling. If you've been wronged, somebody's got to pay. If you do good or do right, somebody's got to pay. But the problem with this is that the Bible doesn't introduce us to a God who is a cosmic judge or a cosmic genie. The Bible teaches us about a God who's bigger and better than that. The Bible teaches us about grace. Because the reality facing all of us is that there is a payment problem that somebody's got to pay. And the payment problem is called sin. And when it comes to sin, every single one of us is guilty. And I know that every single one of us is guilty because we've all done something bad. And because we've all done something bad, the very last thing we deserve is something good from God. Because you see, the reality of sin is that on our own, on our own strength, we could never pay the price that sin requires to be paid in order to get to God. And so God's response to our sin problem isn't, you've got to pay. That, that's not His response. His response isn't, well, you, you've got to work for my love. You owe me. God's response is, somebody's got to pay, and I'll pay it for you. And I believe, I'm convinced that God loves you. And that God has a greater plan for your life than you do. And the plan for your life is for you to be free from your failures so that you're free to live in His grace. So before we jump into our main text this morning in the Gospel of Luke, I wanted to take a small detour into Genesis. And I'm not talking about the health club. I'm talking about the first book of the Bible. But I think we all knew that anyways. I thought it was funny. I don't there's this uh, very interesting exchange that happens in the book of Genesis between God and Adam. God has just created Adam and God has placed Adam into the garden. And in Genesis 2, 16 through 17, we see God giving Adam these instructions. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Let's dissect this a little more closely. What are the first three words that God speaks to humanity? The first three words that God speaks to humanity, if you look at it, are you are free. Those are the first three words that God speaks over and to all humanity. You are free. I wonder what our world would look like if the message got out that God created us all to live in freedom. I know for me at least, but I've come across so many people that don't want to believe in God because they think God is going to restrict them 
from living. But God doesn't want to restrict us from living. His intent for us is so that we could be free. So we may live. You are free to eat. And everyone said, Amen. That's the first thing God says to humanity. But it comes with a warning. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, God is saying, Adam, here's what you need to know. If you eat from this tree, if you eat from it, somebody's got to pay. Maybe you've wondered this. I know I have. I know I've been asked this before. But did God know that Adam and Eve were going to sin? Did God know that they they were going to mess up? And the answer is, well, of course He did. It's right here in the verse, isn't it? Verse 17, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God says, for when you eat. God knew what Adam was going to do, and God knew what that decision was going to cost him personally. And God allowed the choice to be made anyway. Because that's how much God loves us. You know, love by the very definition of the word requires the ability to choose. And God wants you to choose Him over all else. But in the case of Adam in the garden, God knew Adam would choose all else over Him. For when you eat of it, God says, somebody's got to pay. And the rest of Scripture is setting up God's response to that universal reality. And God's response is, I'll pay it for you. In the Garden of Eden, God planted more than just trees. In the garden, God planted freedom into the human heart. God did not plant death in the human heart. God planted life. Death came because of sin. All the bad in the world came as the result of humanity choosing not to be free. So so now that we've seen that God wants us to be free, uh, let's push the fast forward button and enter into the New Testament. Because it is in another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night that Jesus will be betrayed and arrested, that there's a subplot in the Gospel story that gives us one of the best pictures, I believe, of grace. And once again, through this story, we can hear God saying, You are free. So listen to Luke 22, 47-51. But even as Jesus said this, a crowd approached, led by Judas, one of the twelve disciples. A couple verses earlier, Jesus was just telling his disciples, hey, don't fall asleep. Stay awake with me. Because this night would have been one of the most stressful, intense-filled moments of Jesus's life. And he needed his friends with him. And his best friends are falling asleep on him. And he's going, guys, stay awake. And as he's saying this, Judas shows up, one of the twelve. And he's leading a crowd with him. Uh, Judas walked over to Jesus to greet him with a kiss. But Jesus said, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We brought the swords. And one of them struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. We learn from the Gospel of John that the disciple who did this was Peter and that the high priest's slave was a man named Malchus. And I wish I could sit down with Peter because I would ask him this question. I'd say, did, did Jesus, did he wink at you? Like, did, did, he, did he give you a thumbs up? Did he give you some special signal? What made you use the sword? 
Because in the story, Jesus never answered the question. And He never gave the command. And the story, the disciples are, are like, should we fight Jesus? And Peter is the impulsive one who lets the feelings of the moment outweigh his obedience to Jesus. And I don't know if you've experienced this or not, but at least for me, some of my most shameful and guilt-ridden moments in my life are the result of me allowing a feeling to outweigh my obedience to Jesus. I've found that when I choose to make my desires greater than Jesus' desires for me, that I act impulsively and I do something I end up regretting. And thank goodness Peter is a fisherman and not a warrior or else he might have had better aim in the situation. Now this week I thought about the guy on the other end of the sword. I thought about Malchus. And I thought about what was going through his head as the sword was swinging through the air. And I think the first thing he would have done is he felt the connection, you know, boom. And then he was open his eyes and go, well, I'm alive. Second thing is he's going, well, okay, I felt my ear, so ear's gone. What else is, is anything else missing in my, okay, no, no, just the ear. Okay, I'm alive. And then I think he would have looked at Peter and he would have gone, done what every single one of us would have done. And he goes, somebody's got to pay and it's you, you fool. That's what I thought about this week. So let me state the obvious here in our story. You can't cut someone's ear off and get away with it. I can just picture everyone pausing in that moment. As Malchus yelled out, and as his ear hit the torch-lit grass, everyone in that moment, just for a moment, everyone stopped looking at Jesus, and they looked at Peter, the guy with the sword. Because Peter just entered into a world of legal trouble, and he's committed his crime in front of the entire sheriff's department. Mistakes have been made, Peter. Worst case, Peter's charged with attempted murder. Best case, Peter's charged with assault and battery with a deadly weapon. Either way, Peter was looking at going to serve in jail for some time. When I was a junior in high school, I got, I got my first car. It was, it was a beater. It was a 1992 Ford Tempo. If you've never heard of that car, I won't blame you. It, uh, it had a, a gaudy red interior, but uh, I, I, was, I was proud of it. It was my first car, and one day in the summer, my friend Brad called me up, and he goes, hey, dude, I'll drive to your house, and then you can follow me as we drive separately to the movie theaters to watch a movie with two hot girls that I just called up. And immediately I found the logic in that, and I said, okay, all right. Let's do that. And so Brad came over and he got in his car and I got in my car and I followed him to the movie theater. I don't know why we did that. But as we're driving, Brad led us and we went onto this one lane street. And there's a lane on each side and we started driving down it. And I realized that I was, I was a junior in high school. I had freedom. I had my car. I could play my music as loud as I wanted to. And so I was like, oh, let me find some music. So I started adjusting the radio and took my eyes off the road. And when I found the good song, that I was like, yeah, I'll bump to this. I looked out the car window and on the front yard of a house nearby, there was two cute girls playing in the front yard. And so I started to watch them. And I didn't see the person ahead of me slam on their brakes because they forgot they needed to turn left. So when I looked back at the road, Brad's car was a lot closer than I had remembered. And I hit the brakes and I felt the skid of the tires and I... Boom, I crashed into 
Brad. And we pulled off the road and we went down into a neighborhood and we called our parents. And I actually I talked with my dad recently about this story. And he told me that when I had called him, what was going through his mind was, don't get mad. He needs you. But when my dad arrived, he got out of his car and he said, are you okay?" I said, yeah, I think so. And he goes, what the heck were you thinking? (laughs) Uh, I ended up getting a reckless driving ticket and I was given a court date. And I decided that in all my 16-year-old Steve wisdom that I shouldn't have to pay the fine because I didn't think the accident was my fault. So on the day when it came, I went to court and I'll never forget sitting in that big room with the wooden benches and the judge in his chair dressed in black. And after I heard some of the cases, I heard all of a sudden the state of Colorado versus Stephen Weissong. And I went in to the podium and I looked up at the judge and the judge said, you were given a ticket for reckless driving. How do you plea? And I said, well, 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 your honor, I don't think it was really my fault. You see someone up ahead, they slammed on their brakes and they caused me to get into the accident. And the judge looked at me and goes, did you rear in the car in front of you or didn't you? And I said, well, I I hit the car. And the judge raised his gavel and he said, guilty, go pay your ticket. And you know, I didn't, I didn't keep that ticket. I should have, but luckily for you, I, I got a speeding ticket and I held on to that one. So, because every single one of us has a ticket. And on the ticket that we all have, there's a list of every single failure, every single mistake, every single sin. And assigned to the ticket that we all carry, there's a price. And there's a price that somebody's got to pay. Because the verdict of the ticket is guilty. And that's where, in the Garden of Gethsemane, I find so much hope in verse 51. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. In that moment, Jesus did more than just heal someone who had come to crucify him. He also destroyed the evidence against Peter. Think about this. Malchus takes Peter to court. And they get into the courtroom and Malchus accuses Peter and goes, that man cut off my ear. And the judge says, okay, come up, let me look at it. Malchus goes up and the judge goes, well, which ear? Malchus goes, my right one. The judge goes, well, it looks fine to me. And the case gets thrown out for lack of evidence. And in that moment of healing in the Garden of Gethsemane, you can hear the echo from the Garden of Eden, can't you? The echo from the beginning, the the words echoing through this healing act, and maybe the words echoed towards Peter from a simple glance of Jesus as he was led away to the cross. But either way, I believe that Jesus would have heard them and felt them. You are free. In my notes this week, I simply wrote down, God's love is incredibly wide and immeasurably deep and infinitely high. This act in the Garden of Gethsemane to help Peter, of course, points us towards the saving act that Jesus would perform for all of humanity. On the cross, Jesus paid the price that somebody's got to pay. And the arrival of Jesus on the pages of human history tells us about a God who says, I know you can't get to me. I know what's on your ticket. I know the verdict is guilty. I know you can't 
get to me, so I'll come to you. Here's a great truth. Following Jesus sets you free so that you are free to live. Because of of grace, the price that somebody's got to pay has been paid once and for all. And Jesus did not emerge from the empty tomb and He did not point at you and go, You owe me. Jesus took a bloodstained cross and He turned it into an empty grave so that you could know your guilty verdict in Christ can be dismissed because of a lack of evidence. It's so that you could know that there was no price God wouldn't pay to rescue you and bring you back to life. The most freeing line in the entire Bible, for me at least, is this. It's in Christ. Because in Christ, you are free. Here's something some of you might not know about me. Uh, but I, I'm a writer. I've actually written a, a, over a 400-page something novel. It's one of my hobbies. It's something that I really like to do. It helps me be creative. I, I love writing. And one of my favorite tools to use while I'm writing is it's called the Find and Replace tool. It's an option on my computer. You have it as well. So, so if I get to page 100 in my story, and I realize that for 100 pages I've been misspelling a word, I can use the find and replace tool and I can go back in and I can correct the spelling throughout the whole document. And what I love about the grace of Jesus is that in him, there is a find and replace option available for your life. When, when anyone is in Christ, anywhere on the story of your life, that there is the word guilt. Anywhere there is the word failure, mistake, shame, regret, or a bad decision. Anywhere there is sin in your life, Jesus can find it and he'll replace it. And Jesus will find it and he'll replace it with, it's been paid for. Bottom line, Jesus sets us free, not so that we can continue living the way we've been living. Jesus sets us free so that he can show us a new way to live, a better way to live, a way to live that actually means something in this life. Jesus sets us free so that we are free to live. Uh, last weekend I was sitting through a, a graduation ceremony and the keynote speaker stood up and, and he told all of the graduating seniors, he told the students, he said, remember, nothing in this life is free. And in my mind, I thought this and I believe I said it out loud, but I just, in my mind, I thought, and I said it out loud because that's the way I am, I just said, Grace is free. Grace, grace is free. And we live in a world where the universal feeling is that nothing is free. There is always a catch, always a cost. We always have to pay for something. And what so many of us do is we take that feeling and we make it a truth about God. And we'll say, well, God, I, I, I want to follow you. But what's the catch? God, I, I really, I want to follow you. But what's this going to cost me? And God says... For you, nothing. For me, everything. And God doesn't want to have a religion with us. He wants to have a relationship. But more simply, the truth is this. Jesus sets you free. So this morning, let me ask you a question. If Jesus sets you free, who here in this room would want to be freed up from worry? Who here in this room would want to be freed up from anxiety? 
Who here in this room would want to be freed up from an addiction, from brokenness, from sin? And Jesus can set you free because Jesus is not dead. He's alive. And so the best good news ever is this. In Christ, you're free. Because in Christ, the price that somebody's got to pay has been paid. Let me pray. Well, Lord, you, you see our tickets. You see the misspellings or the mis-opportunities, the missed moments to do good. You see all of that. God, and in you, there is a find and replace option. In you, we can turn to you and we can know that you will find and replace all that is bad, all that is sinful, all that is giving us guilt and holding us down and causing us anxiety and worry. You can free us from that. God, you can change us. And you want to change us so we can look more like your son. Jesus, I thank you for the cross. I thank you that you took our tickets and you nailed them to that cross. You took our sin and you nailed it to the cross. But God, you didn't leave us there because then you went down from the cross and you made the empty grave. And so God, you defeated sin. You defeated death. You are alive and you can give us life in our lives because I believe that all throughout Scripture you are whispering and calling out to us and saying, you are free. You're made for freedom. And in me, you can find that. Jesus, thank you for that message. Thank you for your freedom and for your grace. In your awesome, awesome name. Amen.